How's everybody doing tonight? I hope you don't have jet lag just yet. My goodness, we got a whole army of preachers here tonight. If I were Satan, I would just run out of any door, any exit, any window, because we got the powerhouse. We got the preacher's brigade, brigade here. We got the ecclesiastical military here tonight. I'm inspired to be here at the 2022 European Missions Conference entitled The Dream. And uh, I'm, I'm especially honored, of course, to be with Kip and Elena, our pace setters, mother and father in the faith to so many. Uh, they, they come to our region in the, in the West L.A. all the time, so it's, it's kind of like a happenstance to have them here. But it's great to have them here as well. And, uh, and of course, Michael and Michelle Williamson, the angels of the church here in London. What a blessing. I got a whole bunch of introductions, but uh, I've been given a little time limit. I can't recognize anybody, but there are just so many precious legends in the faith here tonight. And I'm so excited to be preaching with you tonight. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Acts 21, 7. And since the title I was given tonight did not include the word vision... And seeing as I'll be 57 in a couple weeks, I guess the Holy Spirit gave me the title of my lesson tonight, Dare to Dream. Because I had been given up on dreams. I had given up on my dreams. Uh, it was kind of like Fantine, Fantine, Fantine. I just had kind of given up on my dreams once. I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. And I would love to share why I got out of that and how I got out of uh, dreaming again. Tonight we're going to be discussing worship. Not our members' worship, but our Worship our personal relationship with God in this room tonight. Please turn to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. This is a familiar passage to everyone in this room. Uh, maybe it's an unfamiliar passage. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. I've got to be moving tonight, so let's be going. If you, uh, if you just want to listen, great. I'll send you the notes. Mark 14, verse 3. Everybody with me tonight? Come on, don't go to sleep on me now. Start in verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were saying, present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? <laughs> Could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you. And you can, you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. <clears throat> she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Amen? Amen? Let's get to work. One trait that I love about God's personality is God wants to be praised. God wants to be worshipped. And, and he made man so much like him that man was not happy just praising God, yet nobody honoring him. And God said it is not good for man to be alone. God is a speaking God. He opens his mouth and he speaks. And with the spoken word, he creates and so when God gets ready to be praised, he doesn't think about praise. He wants us to say a praise. 
He wants us to be praising him all the time. He wants to hear you say it. It builds his divine esteem when you tell him how good he is. Let me tell you something. Praise affects God the same way that praise affects man. When you praise a man, it'll make him outdo himself. When you tell him how good he is and how he's wonderful, he will start trying to hurt himself trying to live up to what you just said. And man is so much like God. If you really want God to move in your life, just tell him how good he is. Tell him how awesome he is. Tell him that he's amazing. Start bragging on him. When you tell him you're my way maker, you're my joy, you're my bridge over troubled water, just watch God puff himself up, flex his muscles, and show off and start extending himself. Psalm 43, Psalm, Psalm 34 verse 3 says this, Oh, magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. We sing that. Oh, magnify the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I love that. Now, the word magnify causes me some confusion because I think of magnify. I think of God. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And so, and yet David says that when I praise God, he is magnified. How do you magnify an omnipresent well, how does he become even larger if I magnify him? Now, how can I make an all-inclusive God bigger than he already is? Wow. I can't make God any bigger than he is in the universe, but you know what I can do? I can magnify him in me. Wow. I can make him bigger in me. When I praise God, he gets bigger inside of me, and that's, that'll do it. Amen? I want to feel closer to God. If you want to feel closer to God, you can't sit there with your lips sewed together, uh, your arms folded, your lips pursed, and just and thinking that God's going to bless you and move in your heart, especially as a leader. God says, I know what I want, and I like what I want, and I want somebody to give me some praise. And that's what he can say. If I not find somebody to praise me, I'm going to bless him. Let me tell you, that's what Revelation 4.11 says. Listen to this. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created and have their being. God said, when I started to create things, I didn't start creating things to make me any more God than I already was. I already knew that I was God. I created things that would acknowledge who I am, that I would acknowledge that I'm God and tell me what I am and what I already was. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? You guys know that one? Jeremiah 32, 27. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out in a tent to live in. Isaiah 40, verse 22. Come on, bro. Let me tell you, you want to be blessed? Be a person that acknowledges the power of God. Amen. You know, another thing I like about God's personality, God likes to be sought after. You can't get away from that in Scripture. God likes to be sought after. We teach that to new converts, right? Mm. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Isaiah 55, verse 6. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. Listen to this. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. How about this one? King Rehoboam did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who seek God. God likes to be sought after. He likes to be pursued. He said, call on me and I will answer you and tell you great 
and mighty things that you do not know. Jeremiah 33, 3. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God likes for us to put forth the effort. He likes to see us trying to get to him, yeah. trying to find him. When we try to put the effort to come into his presence. You think about regarding the narrow road. Jesus says only a few find it. What's that mean? They're not looking for it. The, so many are on the broad road because they're not looking for it. God did not promise to make it comfortable in our own lives. He does things because he likes to find us in pursuit of him. God says, you got to be the initiator. you got to come after me. you got to solicit an action that brings about a response. And when I find you trying to get to me, I will bless you. That's our God. I know you're outside the door, but if you don't knock, I'm not going to open it. Let me tell you, I know you don't have the answer, but if you won't seek, I will not find. I won't help you. He says, I know you're confused, but if you won't ask me, I won't answer you because I get my blessing out of seeing you trying to get to me. Seek the Lord with all your heart. That's what he says. Come on, RV. God rejected Saul because Saul saw everything more than he sought God. And guys, we're living in a day and age now where everybody's seeking everything except God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. People today, they seek all these things way before they seek God, and they wonder why they don't find God. They seek fame. They seek fortune. They, seek, they work in overtime, around the clock. Two jobs, three jobs, Sundays, weekends, taking all these different jobs. Why? Because they seek the blessings more than they seek the blesser. That's right. And that's the world we're living in now. But God will one day make you realize blessings don't mean a thing if you don't have the relationship with the blesser. God will even let you get what you got. He'll let you get what you got and then show you that you don't want what you got after all. you got to be careful what you decide to make your God. Amen. Woe be to the person that seeks anything but God. For whatever that thing is becomes an idol in your life. Whatever you pursue, you worship. Be careful what you chase. If you're going to pursue it, make sure it's good enough to be your God. Make sure it can heal you. Make sure when you die, you can raise you from the dead. Make sure when your kids are in trouble, they can find your kids. If you're going to fall for it. God rejected Saul, who at the time was the leader of God's people. He was the leader. He rejected Saul because Saul sought the position and not the presence of God. And literally while Samuel was weeping that God had rejected Saul, God went on a manhunt. He went on a manhunt. God told Samuel, while you were weeping, I sought after a man and I found me a man. See, God never goes looking for anything he can't find. One of the few things that God ever sought was a worshiper. A worshiper. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And get this. His worshipers must worship. We just stop there. His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. 
1 Samuel 13, 14. After his own heart. I, I never quite understood what that mean. That meant. God said, I sought a man. And I found a man for myself who was after my own heart. He was after God's heart. He was pursuing God after my own heart. He was pursuing me. I kept searching for a man who was searching for me. I found a boy outside on a hill who was dancing before me. Just out there. No, just dancing out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody with him. He's just out there dancing, but a bunch of sheep there watching him. He's out there, didn't have on nice clothes, smelled like a camel. He's out there standing out in the middle of nowhere, just twirling around on a mountain. And he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I'm going to bless him. God said he's singing me songs. He's, he's writing me poetry. He's, he's blowing me kisses. He's telling me how good I am. He's telling me how, that I am able. He's telling me that I can do anything. He's calling me his king and salvation, his strength and his glory, his inheritance and his cup, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer. He's calling me the horn of his salvation, his stronghold, his support, his shepherd, the light and his salvation, the strength of his life, his helper, his rock of refuge, his hiding place, his defense, his portion and his high tower. He's after me and I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless him. And when God finds someone who will dream and who will worship him and seek him, he will promote him. Huh. God says, I'm going to make David king. He don't have any training, but I'm going to make him king. He's not groomed for this. He didn't grow up in the courts. He had no protocol, but I'm going to make him king. He's not one of the favored people in the palace. They don't even know him there. His own daddy don't support him. His brothers don't even like him. But I'm going to make him king. Go find him, Samuel. Go find him. They've overlooked him, but I haven't. Go find him. They'll act like he's not there. But you go find him, Samuel, when you find him, anoint him to be king. So not, no matter how many people overlook you, if you'll just get to your secret place and you'll start worshiping God, God will find you. He'll find you. Because God says, I'm going to seek the one who is seeking me. That's Amen. what Psalm 27 is all about. Let's listen to these. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear the war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. One thing, one thing, not many things. I'm not after everything. I'm not after positions. I'm not after titles. I don't want to be in the clique. I don't even want to be in the club. I don't want you to be impressed with me. I don't want you to worship me. You ain't even got to praise me. One thing. I ask from the Lord this, this, this. Only do I seek. And when I find it, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a high rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Your face, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me, O God, my Savior, O God, my Redeemer. That fires me up. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. In the shadow of the Almighty, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my strength, my God, in whom I trust. You, God, are my God. I will seek your face early in the morning. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. God raised David up. Because he was somebody who was seeking him. Are we seeking God tonight? Does that describe us? But how can we seek him if we think we already know him? See, this is when the dreaming stops. The problem with so many is they've decided that they know God. I mean, do we really think we know God? God? Who spoke the world into existence by the sheer power of his word? God? Who stood on the mountains, sits encircled on the throne of the earth, stands in eternity and speaks into time? God? Who calls out the stars of the universe one by one, doesn't miss one, and knows them all by name. You know God. (laughs) By whom and in whom all things consist? God? Who parted the Red Sea? God? Who spoke to the sun and made it stand still? And if that weren't enough, he made the sunlight go back ten steps? God? Who walked on water, calmed a raging storm? Raised from the dead? God? think we know God. In Exodus 33, Moses had become God's central leader. He was his man. The highest judge. And he followed God out into the desert. And then he confessed to God as he was leading over a million people. God, you know me, but I don't know you. I don't know you. I'm serving you, Lord. I'm leading your people, but I don't know you. Please, Lord, show me your glory. God replied, Moses, there's a place beside me that no man has sought. But if you come a little higher, I will show you my glory. And you know why I'm going to show you my glory? Because you asked. Because you sought me, I'm going to expose you to a level of glory that no one has ever seen. How about a New Testament? Philippians 3. 
circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, Pharisee is for zeal, persecuting the church. Righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness and worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. There's a nice little French word, garbage. Yes, whatever. Whatever he just said. That I may gain Christ. And you know where I'm going with this. I've got a room full of preachers. You know, y'all finish my points for me. I know he's going to say here. Honey, watch this. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Saul wrote 13 of the New Testament epistles. 14 for some of you. Okay. Nice. No bait. You know, uh, April knows who wrote Hebrews now. Oh. <laughs> oh. She know that. And she's dogging me about it right now. I know who wrote Hebrews. <laughs> Early church's central leader, right there, overseeing evangelists, missionary par excellence. Pursuing God with his whole heart for his whole life. Says, oh, that I may know him. He said, I want to know him. At this point, probably over 20 years as a disciple. Yeah, I want to know all about him, sure, but I want to know him. And the fellowship of his sufferings. This led to my greatest downfall as a disciple. Right here, allowing myself to believe that I already knew him. Maybe that's why many won't seek him. For why would you seek what you think you already have? Perhaps the greatest deception that Satan has released on all of us is a false sense of security and contentment. Perhaps we're too confident. Perhaps that's why others, like our song leaders, must lead us into the presence of God. Or why we come to work, not worship. Or we're consumed with being producers and not praisers. We become choreographers and not worshipers. Who's up next? Mind the gap. That song's off key. That's too fast. It's too slow. It's too low. It's too high. Wrong pitch. Who's late? Who's here? Where's so-and-so? And we can't engage in worship of God because we're too busy. And then we as leaders, we leave church so unfulfilled. Because we didn't engage and we didn't worship ourselves. It's the reason why preachers can suddenly no longer seem to edify because we must entertain. We have more equipment than we've ever had. We have more knowledge about worship than we ever have. We know more about praise than we ever have. We can explain it, but we cannot do it. And our people come to church like spectators to a concert. And it's plaguing us. Sitting around as if they're at a musical. And they evaluate the entertainment. That didn't move me. That didn't stir me. 
who are you to be stirred? Who are you to be moved? Who are you? We're supposed to move heaven for God. It is God whom we're here to bless. God says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And yet some make the excuse, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not emotional. It's not that you're emotional. The problem is you're not obedient. Worship is not a feeling. It is the direct command of a sovereign God who says, if you're going to please me, praise me. It's not a Latino thing. It's not a black thing, a white thing, an Asian thing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a God thing. God says, are you breathing? Do you have some breath in you? God calls us leaders to set the temperature, not to take the temperature. We're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. That's why I'm glad Michael gave me the speaker's dinner, because this is the kickoff. I'd stop dreaming because I'd gotten used to God. I'd been to so many amazing conferences and EAMCs and EMCs and GLCs and HIMCs and, and COTCs. And I saw so many incredible productions and so many great services and heard so many incredible, spectacular speakers and singers that I'd gotten used to God. Some of our people, they get so used to God that they, they try to figure out whether, whether they're going to go to church or not. They're, they're scheduling God like he's some sort of little league football game. I'm not sure. Husband and wife who've been married so long, they've gotten used to what they used to be in love with. Have we not gotten used to God? We're not getting chills anymore when the word is preached. Goosebumps going up and down our spine when we get moved in a sermon singing songs that brought us to tears, and then one day we're not even impressed anymore with our own Savior. When the disciples first met Jesus, man, they were so impressed with him. They, they, they quit their jobs. They left their families to walk with him. Never mind what we're going to eat. I just want to keep on talking, Lord. I'm walking with you, Lord. Just keep on talking to me, Jesus. One point, Jesus said, will you leave me? No, Lord. Where shall I go? I got nowhere else to go. Where am I going to go? What do you mean am I coming to church this morning? I got nowhere else to go. This is my life. I don't have nothing else to do. I need you. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter what the location is, Lord. For in your hands, you have the words of eternal life. I'm not going anywhere physician quits his lucrative job to follow Jesus. Mm. Tax collectors become soul collectors mm. just to walk with Jesus. Fishermen become fishers of men just to walk with Jesus, just to hear his word. The problem was they'd been around him so much. They'd seen so many miracles and, and healings and testimonies and baptisms. They saw it all. They'd been with him when he was preaching, yet they'd also been with him when he was tired. They'd walk through these extraordinary days, but they'd also walk through the ordinary days. That's the tough part about following God. Not when he's extraordinary, but when he's ordinary days. An atheist can follow God when he's performing miracles. Normal days with Jesus, just bathing, washing clothes, setting up tents, 
stealing little boys' lunch bags, moving from town to town, doing the work of the Lord, but forgetting the Lord of the work. So busy being busy that they didn't notice that their fire had almost gone out and they stopped dreaming. They'd gotten used to Jesus, and this was his leadership team. First, they're serving him and ministering to him and washing his feet, tending to his every need. Every need they just tended to, but now he was just one of the fellas. And this is the setting where they come into this house of Bethany. And now I get to my text. Jesus was with them. Great introduction. And it was no big deal. Can you imagine? Jesus comes to your house and it's no big deal. Comes in, sits down, sits at your table. You got your husband, your children. No big deal. No special place to sit. No china. No crystal. McDonald's. Just no big deal. And guys, isn't that what it's like when we come into his house? His spirit moves us up, yet our faces just go down. But they were used to Jesus. So when Peter and James and John and all the fellas, all the future big shots just come in, they just plop down and said to Jesus, grab, grab a chair, Jesus. Just grab a chair. I'm tired. What a day, what a day, what a day. Mm. So much to be done. I'd wash your feet, Jesus. You know I would. It's just, you know, I would. It's not that I wouldn't do it. I would. I, I really would. You know my heart. I'd give my contribution. You know, I mean, if you really needed it, Jesus, I'd, I'd give you my contribution. But you, you know my heart. I'd go visit the hospital. I'd go, you know, visiting hours and all. You know, it's kind of late and stuff. You know, you know my heart. See, it wasn't convenient. And so they sat with Jesus as if he were nothing at all. I mean, think about it. Do the people in your life act as if you're insignificant? How would that make you feel? You feel lonely in your, in your own house because somebody who used to be excited about you is now saying, no big deal. And how do we get out of it? Isn't it insulting when you're present your presence no longer seems important. Yeah. Yeah. And they sat around. And these are all the big church boys. This, these guys here, they're all the officials, all the big names, the religious importance, the upper echelon of the Christian community, the aristocracy of the ecclesia. Wow. They just sat at the table as if nobody special had come through the door. When suddenly a woman walks in. And that's where the story changes. A woman walks in who dared to dream. A woman who changed the atmosphere. She had no title. She had no poise. I mean, no position. In fact, there probably was a rumor out about her. She opened the door. She, they started murmuring, she's a sinner. You ever walk into a room, you can just feel the hostility sometimes? walked into the room in an atmosphere that was not receptive of her. She knew it, but they would not acknowledge it. I like this woman. I like her because she was tough enough to be controversial and still keep coming. 
She walked through there. She was not going to take no for an answer because she was a woman on a mission. She knew what she came for. She didn't come to see them anyway. Excuse me. Excuse me. And that's what she did. Step aside. I came to see Jesus. I didn't come to see you. I came to see Jesus. So you got to know sometimes what we came for. You got to know what you came for. You got to know that Jesus is in the house. Murmuring about her, but she didn't argue. Didn't defend herself, didn't retaliate, didn't respond. She just said, excuse me. Excuse me. When somebody's trying to kill your joy, belittle your faith, question you, belittle you, you just got to tell them, excuse me. I came to see Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I just know Jesus is in the house. This is between me and you, Jesus. It's just us. I don't want anything between me and you. Excuse me. And that's what she did. Some of us need to start saying, excuse me. Yep. Excuse me. Everything that's been on your mind, just tell it, excuse me. That worry, I don't want nothing between me and Jesus. Excuse me. The church, the challenges, the people, the transitions, the bills, the headaches, the worries, excuse me. I need to see Jesus. <laughs> Almost done. Excuse me. She gets into the presence of the Lord. She zeroes in on him, fixes her eyes on him, falls at his feet, and she begins to, to worship him with a reckless abandonment. It's crazy how she starts worshiping him. We get to set the same example for this conference. We get to set the tone. We get to set the atmosphere as leaders. Great worship is spontaneous. It's unrehearsed. It just comes over you. Something your heart just creates in the power of the moment. Come on, RD. I must have this moment with him, she said. And so she dropped to her feet and she dropped to the floor and she said, This is what I've been needing. All you other church people, you're used to it, but I've been needing this. I want this. All the church folks, they've gotten used to you, but Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm almost done. Because it shifts again, the story, at the power of this moment. She, she realizes, I must give him something. I got to give him something. I, love makes you do that, right? Yeah. When you love somebody, you give him stuff. <laughs> and she's like, what can I give him? The Bible says she had an alabaster jar full of expensive perfume. Precious. Alabaster was shipped from India. Because it was so expensive. And it was only used to hold the, the finest of perfumes. She's got this jar and, and this, this aroma of the perfume that could not escape this alabaster jar. The sanctity of this alabaster jar. Alabaster was only used for the good stuff. Alabaster was only used for the expensive stuff. It could have been sold for a lot of money. But when you see Jesus, business don't matter. Mm. Business don't matter anymore when you got a relationship with the Lord. Yep. She gets the jar, and she looks at Jesus, and she looks at the jar, and she looks back at Jesus. I said, this, was, this is my life savings. This is my dowry. This is important to me. This is my hope chest. This is, this is, this is what I was saving for a rainy day, but 
as I worship you, my values have changed. What matters to me don't matter anymore. What was important to me is not important anymore. I've changed. What used to worry me doesn't worry anymore. I counted it all as lost that I may win you, Jesus. And if this will win you, I will give it. And so she opened. No, 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 no. I almost blew that one. She didn't open it. See, that's maybe what some of us would have done. The Bible says that anything you open, you can close back again. And sometimes we turn on Jesus on and off like he's a radio. Wow. Little drop here, things are going well. Hold back a jar, hold a little bit here. A little couple drops here, a couple drops there. Pouring out little drops depending on how your day went. I'll give you a few extra drops today, Lord, but tomorrow I'm not so sure. But this woman did not open the alabaster jar. She broke it. She broke it. She broke it at Jesus' feet. When you break it, you can't control how it comes out. And that's where worship comes in. Have we been opened but not broken? When you get broken, you can't control how it comes out. When you get broken, you'll cry and you can't help it. Even though you don't want to look like you're crying. You don't want to cry in front of a room full of people. But when you're broken, it just starts coming out. I can't control it. You don't want people to see that side of you. But before you know it, it just starts leaking out. You with me? And it starts leaking out through your damaged places, through your cracks, through your, your, your wounds and your hurts and your sores. If you're broken, you can't stop it. It's just coming out. And they were cut to the heart. It's got to come out. We'll close in verse 9 of Mark chapter 14. Man, I love you guys. It's going to be an epic conference, I know. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This stopped me in my tracks. 30 years as a disciple, I've never preached. Mark 14. I've never preached about this woman. Why did Jesus say this? What did I miss about this story? What did I not see? What was the reason Jesus made this such a preeminent importance that he forbids the gospel to ever be preached and not be preached about this woman? That it is wrong, that it is a sin to teach predestination or justification or election or foreknowledge or all the principles, all the concepts of Scripture and not teach this woman? The Bible says wherever this gospel is preached, this woman is to be preached. Why did Jesus say this? He said, tell everyone about this woman. And I had to back up and say, what did I miss? Because this woman teaches us that pers the personal expense of real worship, the cost of worship, because it costs you to really worship kind of worship that provokes God, that stirs God, costs you something to enter into a level of communion with God this way. She broke it at his feet. Leaders, tonight, God wants what you've been saving. He 
He wants what you've been holding on to. God wants what you've been holding back. God is jealous of your alabaster jar. One time you saved it and it broke him. But now if you could just break it, you could save him. He's jealous of what you're saving. And you won't get the real blessing until you break the jar. And while she's doing this, the Bible says that Judas was indignant. Judas was mad. All those gathered were confused. The disciples were confused because somebody finally came to church and changed the atmosphere. We are called to change the atmosphere. Our job is to change the atmosphere. Let's be leaders who this weekend will change the atmosphere in our worship, in our praise, in our lessons, our fellowship, our demeanor, our joy, our contagious faith. Let's quit acting like everybody else. Our people need leaders who will change the atmosphere. I was chosen to change the atmosphere. Can you say that? I was chosen to change the atmosphere. Dare to dream again. If you've been asking God to change it, saying, God, when are you going to change it? You've been praying for a change. Realize while you've been waiting on God, God's been waiting on you. God's saying, why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? You don't have to wait on the Lord. The Lord is waiting on you. He's waiting on us. And whenever you need a door open, just ask him. Just knock. Seek him and you will find him and he will bless you. Start dreaming again. Break the jar in God's presence and you can say, excuse me while I praise the Lord. To God be all the glory.